welcome to the Practical Research Parenting Podcast. Here's your host, Nicole Weeks. Hello, welcome back to the second episode with Elaine Friend, talking about raising highly sensitive children. If you missed the first episode, it's well worth listening to. You'll find it at www.practicalresearchparenting.com forward slash HSC. In this episode, we get some great tips on helping our children to function socially in a society that values being tough, learn more about equine-assisted learning, and discuss mindfulness and counselling as a highly sensitive person. Here's the interview. In Australia, a lot of value is placed on being tough and stoic in the face of adversity, which can also mean, you know, being tough in situations where we would often get overstimulated. So what sort of issues might this cause socially and sort of how can we help to design the social sphere better for our children and for ourselves? Well, the first thing that pops into my mind is that I was raised in a farming community in Oklahoma Mm -hmm. where we had similar values. I certainly heard when the going gets tough, the tough get going and you're too damn sensitive and Mm -hmm. I'll give you something cry about, those kinds of parenting Mm. adages. And so I know it well. And what is so important is that the parent and the child both understand that there is a different worldview and a different way of processing the world going on. So it's okay and really appropriate for a highly sensitive child and especially a highly sensitive boy Mm. to maybe hold back and to find a strategy that involves taking their time Mm. so that they are able to process what's going on in the deep way that they need to before they're required to respond or react. So it's different than being right up front and jumping in. It gives the highly sensitive child time to make their choices. And then, you know, one can appear stoic while not being stoic. Right. If you are just thrown into the fray of these um, situations, you're going to become quickly overstimulated. Mm. And, the those around the highly sensitive child may say, what is wrong with him? Mm. And there must be something wrong. Or there's something wrong with you, mom. If you've raised a child who has emotional reactions to things, mm. how dare you? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we have really seen that it's so effective for highly sensitive children and highly sensitive boys to um, be able to enter things more slowly and um, to even train them that that is a very good strategy, you know, to create a little bit of a window for themselves. Yeah. So this would look like sort of stopping near the entrance of the preschool or the school to just seeing everything before actually get involved in it. Or how about this? Getting permission to take your child to the school before school starts Mm. and to meet the teacher in the classroom. And if that isn't possible, then to at least drive to the school, park where you're going to park, get out and walk up to where the door is going to be Mm. and do it more than once so that at least that part is familiar Mm. and part of a routine that works and that you understand. 
And that takes, you know, the, the, the drive to a new location, the parking in a new location, getting out, walking into the school or walking to school, whatever it is that you do, all of those things are also new mm-hmm. the first day of school. So you can minimize and packing lunch and eating lunch out of a lunchbox, mm. uh, you know, getting dressed in a certain way for school. We can practice all those things with our children before it happens mm. so that we have fewer possibilities for becoming overstimulated. So then when the big event happens where you first meet all the children you don't have all those other new things that have already overstimulated you. Yeah. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So because of this value placed on being stoic, um, I sometimes wonder whether I should be helping my son to harden up um, or whether I'm doing the right thing by taking him sensitive do into account and giving him plastic spoons and not using hand dryers and dressing in front of the heater. Um, what are your thoughts on that and what's the research sort of on that? Well, it's been shown over and over again that this is a very important thing about highly sensitive people. We have differential susceptibility. Mm. And what that means is that we are more affected by negative experiences than the other 80%. We're more likely to have a negative affect and even a, a negative affect in adulthood from negative experiences in our childhood. Mm. However, we are also equally more impacted by positive experiences. So we take the positive experiences and the interventions and all the help that our parents and our teachers and our therapists and our caregivers give us, and we turn them in, we transform them in to way more positivity than the other 80% would. Hmm. So everything we do to support our highly sensitive children to help them have a positive experience of early childhood and a positive experience of their parents and their schools makes them stronger and better able to cope with the other 80%. Whereas if we, for example, forced the hand dryer on them, then that would be a negative experience that would have a much larger impact um, than it would on other kids. It would make them even, right, it would make them even more overstimulated and even more afraid. Yeah. Yeah, and probably make it longer before they can actually to- tolerate the hand dryer. So Absolutely. Send things backwards. And, you know, Dr. Aaron is amazing at self-care. I've really um, benefited from my relationship with her and learning from her about how to live in the world. And um, she uh, is radical about taking care of herself so that then when she goes out in the world, she's amazing you would never know that things are challenging for her. Hmm. And the all the best highly sensitive people I know um, have learned that skill of really stepping back into the dark room and closing your eyes and hmm. sleeping and resting and meditating and, um, you know, listening to classical music, whatever it is for that person, when they're really good at radically taking care of themselves, then when they go out in the world they function great. Mm. It's all good news. Okay. I mean, because you're learning about it right now, Mm. your son's going to be, you know, soaring to the highest heights, Mm. Um, as opposed to those of us in my generation and maybe yours who were parented in a different way. Um, 
we've had to learn self-care as adults. Yeah. Um, you know, and so there, it's been a long and challenging journey to learn that. And, uh, but, you know, I've, I'm so grateful that I learned about the trait of sensory processing sensitivity and, um, which is what we all have. We highly sensitive people, um, and how to, um, help my child and myself in time, Yeah, you know, and now I want to just say, um, I talked to you about some of the challenges of my um, son. He is now class president and, president of the medical club and he won a countywide award for his performance in mock trial, which is um, sort of like a debate team that is on trials. He was in the, in the school play and he plays violin on stage and all of these things are challenging for him. But because he has had a childhood that honored his sensitivity and because we work hard to this day to help him with his self-care he's able to go out there and you know rule the world yeah that's awesome yeah that's wonderful Um, you know abraham lincoln was this highly sensitive person yeah right yeah and i guess I get hung up about the hand dryers and I think he's actually getting braver now. He can just about handle it. But I guess all of those things, they just take that little bit longer to grow out of, but they do grow out of them. So they won't be going to college scared of the hand dryer. Well, they may um, choose at some point to, um, you know, keep a handkerchief in their pocket so that they can dry their hands in a way that's more comfortable for them. Yeah. He won't be, he might, he won't be afraid of it, but he may not like it still. Yeah. Right. You know, and that's okay. Yeah. So I'm very curious to learn more about equine assisted learning. Can you describe your therapy sessions to us and how they sort of developed? Absolutely. So we practice EGALA model, Equine Assisted Growth and Learning Association work with our um, equine learning and equine assisted psychotherapy practice. Mm. I've been doing it for 13 years. Mm. And once upon a time, a, a therapy client said to me, have you ever heard of equine assisted therapy? And I said, only in my dreams. And I quickly researched it and found this great organization and got cert- trained and certified. Um, and I'm blessed to bring my passion for horses into my profession, licensed marriage and family therapist. And it's, it's a dream job. Hmm. So I've been doing it for all these years. Um, meanwhile, I'm a horsewoman and it just so happens that the very, very internationally famous um, Elaine Aaron is also a horsewoman, and she rode a horse at the same ranch where I kept my horses. Hmm. Um, she, there are a few of us therapists who um, got to know each other at the ranch and, and became friends. And one day she came up to me and she said, you know, Elaine, I think that equine-assisted therapy and equine-assisted learning would be amazing for highly sensitive people. Because when they do well in nature, they love animals, and especially highly sensitive women, highly sensitive people and women. That combination spells horses to me. Mm-hmm. So we start talking, and we develop these workshops, HSPs and horses. And um, I um, became certified as a, an approved therapist for highly sensitive people. Um, through working with Dr. Aaron and 
I have learned so much about um, highly sensitive people and working with them. For example, when we have workshops, um, which people travel from all over the world to attend, uh, we we make everything just so comfortable. We have four or five different kinds of chairs, and we put cushions on the chairs, and um, we have 15 different kinds of tea to choose from. And, um, we have food of all different types out all day long, and we really encourage people to keep themselves safe, um, and that's one of my um, underlying principles for the by that, I don't just mean the physical safety, but to um, you know, take breaks when they need them, participate as much as they feel comfortable participating. Um, you know, take quiet time to journal and meditate, and um, really, we model for our clients how to be the best possible, highly sensitive person that you can be. And <laughs> Elaine and Monica are equine specialists, and myself, I'm a duly certified mental health specialist and equine specialist. The three of us always marvel at the end of the workshop that we got just as much out of it as the clients did. Yeah, right. Oh, that sounds amazing. It is so fun. Yeah. You'll have you'll have to come sometime when your son is older. Yeah, that'd be good, definitely. <laughs> Let me know when you're ready. Yeah, we'll do. <laughs> so just before we finish up, could you please tell us more about yourself and your career? Well, I'll tell you um, just a little bit about um, my journey. Um, I, um, I'm a lifelong horsewoman. My mom was a very gifted horse trainer. She was the teenage girl in her county that was given all the horses that nobody else wanted and nobody else could ride. So you can probably presume from that that she's a highly sensitive person and she got all the highly sensitive horses given to her. And so I literally rode my first time in utero and um, have never turned back. Mm -hmm. I started my first baby horse with my mom. Um, When I was six years old, we raised both ranch horses and ponies. Mm -hmm. So I was always the first person to ride the ponies. And um, I just was so blessed to have a life with horses and nature. And that was my saving grace. Um, and I, because I'm um, really tuned into the world around me and I really have a lot of empathy toward others, um, it was sort of a natural path for me to go into counseling. Mm. And I've been in uh, California. We have a, a master's level counseling license called Marriage and Family Therapy. Mm. And um, I've been doing that for almost 25 years. Yeah, right. Do you find, because um, I guess a reason I didn't get into clinical psych is that um, I'm very sensitive to other people's emotions and plights and I felt that I'd take on their problems. Do you find that to be an issue? Oh, my gosh. When I was in graduate school in my early internships, I had such a hard time. Mm. I couldn't stop thinking about my clients. Mm. I worked in public mental health and so I had some very um, disturbing stories coming at me from um, new clients that I was doing intakes. And I luckily had an amazing supervisor. And this is a skill that I try to teach my highly sensitive clients, even when, even when they're not therapists, mm. uh, that he taught me, which was that I, I envisioned 
um, a beautiful box inside me. And it was very ornate and carved. And when I was seeing clients, I would open the box up and I would receive what they had to tell me or or share with me. And I do this to this day. Mm. And I held it with love and care and compassion in this box within me. Mm. And then I was done with work. I closed the lid on the box. Mm. So it was still, still with me, but contained. Mm. And it took me a long time to learn it. But when I finally learned it, I was able to use my empathy and my compassion and my emotional responsiveness and my depth of processing to really tune into clients and help them. Mm. Now, I will say that there is a caveat that I learned from Dr. Aaron, which is that um, when we are seeing clients with that level of depth and perception, um, we cannot see as many clients as who are not highly sensitive. Mm. We really need to limit the number of clients that we see and allow adequate time for self-care. Yeah. So that is the piece of it that may be different for highly sensitive therapists. Yeah. Wonderful. That's really helpful. Um, so if my listeners want to find out more about raising highly sensitive children, um, what resources would you recommend? Well, the first thing that I recommend is that we, that they would go to, um, Dr. Aaron's website, hsperson.com, highly sensitive person.com and, um, take the self-test for both yourself and your child. Um, the second thing is to get that book. You can get the book on Amazon. Um, you can also order it off, to doc, off of Dr. Aaron's website, mm. uh, The Highly Sensitive Child. Yeah. It's so helpful, as I mentioned before. Mm. A close colleague of Dr. Aaron's, uh, Ted Zeff, has also done a lot of writing on highly sensitive people, and he specializes in men and boys. And he has a book on highly sensitive boys, um, and it is amazing. I I got it to read about my son, and actually I'll say this for your highly sensitive adult listeners. Um, I bought The Highly Sensitive Child and Ted Zeff's book, um, Strong Sensitive Boy, to uh, read about my son, and I found myself in them so much. And I was really able to do a lot of self-healing about my own childhood mm. through reading books. It was a, they're amazing. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I would say is we cannot be good parents if we don't take care of ourselves and model for our children mm. uh, how to uh, take the time that we need to take care of ourselves. And that is the number one piece of advice I would give. Mm. Yeah. And I guess, it, yeah, mindfulness probably helps, I guess. Mindfulness helps me a lot. Mm. Um, Dr. Aaron cautions highly sensitive people about mindfulness because highly sensitive people um, are deep thinkers. Um, it, we can sometimes get lost in our own thinking. Um, however, it really helps me to just say to myself very gently, oh, there's a thought. That's okay, honey. Just go back to your breath. And um, the other way that I like to use mindfulness is I just try to notice nature around me. 
And I find that very helpful. If I'm starting to spin or feel overstimulated to just look at the leaves on the trees um, and notice the, all the different colors, that kind of mindfulness really works for me. Mm. I wanted to mention one other study about parenting. Mm. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the study on rhesus monkeys that was done by researchers looking into this trait, sensory processing sensitivity. Uh, Rhesus monkeys have a social structure and parenting style that is most like humans um, of any other species. Mm. And um, they identified what they called uptight baby monkeys. The Mm. uptight monkeys, you may guess, are the highly sensitive monkeys. Mm. So Studying generations of the rhesus monkeys, they began to easily identify, even um, at the very early infancy stage for the baby monkeys, which ones were uptight. Mm. And so they also identified mothers that were skilled mothers, very attentive to the baby monkeys, and mothers who were less skilled or more distracted and less detail-oriented. So when they signed uptight baby monkeys To the skilled mothers, those monkeys all became the leaders of their family group when they grew up. When they were assigned to more negligent or less skilled mothers, Mm. they were the lowest functioning in their group when they grew up. Wow, isn't that fascinating? It is fascinating. And it just, you know, I get a chill just telling you about it because um, it's just so profound that you are mothering a young, highly sensitive child with skilled mothering and helping all these other parents to be skilled parents for their highly sensitive children. And that will make those children just be able to flourish. I learned so much from Elaine, and it's really deepened my understanding and appreciation of myself and of Xander. As always, the show notes have a summary and all the resources we mentioned. This episode's at www.practicalresearchparenting.com forward slash HSC2. Also, this is an exciting time in my life. I just got a job as a research officer for a not-for-profit organization to join others passionate about positive social change. I don't want to stop podcasting, but realize that when I'm time poor, I'll struggle to maintain the motivation. So I've created a way for you to let me know that you value this content and keep me accountable to providing this content for you and for millions of other current and future parents. I've created a Patreon page at www.patreon, so that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash practical research parenting. Through Patreon, you can pledge an amount of your choice per podcast I produce from whenever you sign up. You can pledge as little as $1 per podcast to let me know that you value my content. I won't post more than two podcasts a month and probably one per month on average, so you won't go broke. For $3 per podcast, you can submit topic or interviewee requests, and for $5 per podcast, your question or topic will take priority. Check out other Patreon-only rewards and support the continuation of this content for parents all over the world by going to www.patreon.com forward slash practical research parenting or follow the link in the show notes at www.practicalresearchparenting.com forward slash HSC2. Thank you. I really appreciate your interest and support. Please make sure to listen in next time as I have a fascinating talk with Professor Genevieve Major from Montreal talking about autonomy-supportive parenting.